Okay, guys, welcome to episode number three of the Better Not Bitter podcast. I'm so excited to be with you today. We're going to be talking about some tips for people who are transitioning from high school into college. Um, This is something that I'm very passionate about, uh, and I have a lot of experience in simply because I'm about to graduate college, and it is something that I work hard for and I'm looking forward to. So without further ado, let's get into it. So the first part of this series is going to be dedicated to the topic of self-advocacy. This is something that is very crucial in the life of someone who is becoming a student who also has disabilities. It, It is something that if you can get this in your tool belt, it will not only help you in academia, it will help you in the workplace, it'll help you in your relationships. Um, but keep it noted that it is a skill that you will be exercising for the rest of your life. There's, there's predominantly three parts of self-advocacy, but first I'm going to explain what self-advocacy is, and that is the ability to utilize your knowledge about your disability in order to cooperate with either another individual or organization or institution to bring about some sort of accommodation so that you can be on either a level playing field um, or be able to produce and achieve at the same level uh, or to your ability. Self-advocacy is something that I've had to learn pretty much my entire life. I have two predominant disabilities. One, I am someone who has low vision and I have chronic migraines. So by nature of those two disabilities, because they are invisible, I have to do a lot of self-advocacy to make sure that my needs are met so that I can function uh, in my day-to-day life as best as I possibly can. In self-advocacy, there are three parts to it. So you have to be able to know yourself, that is the first part, understand how your disability impacts you as a person, Two, you have to know your own needs within the context of that disability. So the accommodations or modifications that you would need in certain given situations in the classroom or online uh, and things of that nature. And the last part is knowing who can be a resource and knowing where to find resources. Knowing those uh, two things is very important, especially in the context of going to college. So I'm going to talk about the first part within the aspect of my own experience. So knowing yourself, my low vision came about due to me being born with it. Uh, It's accompanied with my condition of albinism. Albinism is a condition in which I lack pigmentation in my eyes, hair, and skin. Well, due to the way that my eyes developed because of the lack of pigmentation, 
there was a there wasn't enough development in the structure of my eyes and the nerves as well as the lack of pigment that contributed to me being visually impaired and also having an astigmatism where my eyes constantly moved back and forth. By nature of this particular disability, I've had to understand and kind of learn what situations make me feel anxious, what situations are not accommodating for me, when to speak up if I'm in a situation where I need help. For example, a couple of months ago, I was hanging out with a very dear friend of mine and we were going to a new restaurant that I had never been to before. Normally, if I expect that we're going to a new restaurant, I would, you know, Google the menu because my phone has large print. Um, and I'd find out ahead of time what, what to eat just to avoid that feeling of, oh my gosh, I can't see the menu. I don't want to have to ask someone for help. Here comes the part of knowing myself. Well, I didn't get a chance to do that with this particular situation. And because I am now at the place where I'm comfortable at asking someone, hey, can you tell me what that says on the menu or how much is this particular food item? Because I was comfortable in doing that, I was able to ask my friend, hey, could you read the menu for me? And she was more than happy to do it. Years ago, I was not comfortable doing that because one, I felt like I was kind of standing out by even having to ask that question like, man, I, sh I really wish I could see the menu for myself. Two, it was just pride, you know. Um, so I had to quickly die to that because I want to enjoy the moments that I have with my friends and my family. So sometimes that means asking for help. And not always assuming that people have negative motives and intentions. She read the menu and it helped me out. And it gave, also gave her in, some insight into what it's like for me being visually impaired. So that is just one example of having to know yourself. In that particular scenario, not only did I know myself from the aspect of I knew I was going to need to ask for help. But there's also the aspect of if you know that you can't see something because you're visually impaired, making the modification of Googling ahead of time or asking a friend to read off the menu before you even get there, things like that can negate some of those anxious feelings and discomfort and boost self-efficacy as well. So the next thing is know your needs. Now, this is a big one that I have learned and continue to learn as chronic migraines becomes the predominant disability that I face. And that is the ability to not only know yourself and how your disability affects you, but also understand what that is going to mean in the context of equipment or some modifications in terms of being able to adjust your environment or having people adjust your environment for you. I'll give you an example. Throughout my K through 12 experience, I had what was called an IEP teacher. Individualized education plan is what IEP stands for. Well, this particular teacher, she would pull me out of class for a period of time and she would demonstrate 
and show me how to use these tools to help me function in the classroom better. Some of these tools included a monocular, which by nature of the name, it's exactly how it sounds. It's like one half of a pair of binoculars and it helps you see things on the whiteboard or the blackboard, depending on what generation you're from. I use it generally for like street signs if I'm crossing the street to know if it changes from the orange hand to the little walking dude. And then there was another device that I learned at a very early age. It's called a dome magnification device. A big block of glass in the shape of a dome. And you would put it to your book or your paper or whatever, and it would magnify the text. Those are two predominant devices that I learned in kindergarten that I still use to this day. Now, what do they have to do with knowing your needs? Well, because I understand that one, my disability affects my ability to see things far away and up close, I now know that I need to keep those devices with me. And that if I should run into an issue where one of those things breaks, which that has happened often, <laughs> if I should run into that issue, I know that because of my need of that thing, I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure that I get a replacement or I find resources to be able to afford a replacement. Within the context of a classroom, this would look like, well, I usually do these types of things before the first day because I don't like the surprise of 60 people walking in the classroom and you're trying to fill in your professor on some of your disability needs and they're like half focused but trying to take attendance and they're like uh-huh uh-huh yeah uh-huh uh-huh uh, yeah and then your accommodation letter gets kind of stuck in the pile of first day of classes stuff it's just the whole thing so I'd rather not do that so what I do and I'll get to this later on it'll be a whole section is I like to send an email and there's a there's a specific way that these emails have to be structured because you don't want to formulate an email from the standpoint of like you're how can I say like you're being aggressive there's a difference between assertion and aggression you don't want to send the aggression message you just want to be assertive but you also don't want to be passive. Don't do that either. But make sure you're assertive when you send your email. Like, I am genuinely interested in meeting you. I'm excited about this class. I'm excited about formulating a plan so that as a team, it'll be a successful plan that we can formulate so that I can do my best in class and help you understand what I need as well. Those types of emails get the best results because it lets the professor know that one, this student is not just e emailing me because they need something. Two, this student cares about their, their academic progress because they're emailing me in advance. Three, it puts them in awareness so that on the first day of class, when you walk up to them or roll up to them or whatever you do, they're not surprised. They're like, oh yeah, I think I remember that email. And you can start to develop that teacher, that professor-student relationship to where you're not just a face in the crowd. They know your name out of 200 students, which is really helpful. So being able to know your needs in that context is 
letting them know in that email like, hey, these are some of the ways that I adapt to my environment in a classroom space. I bring a dome magnifier, which helps me see text. And then I also bring a monocular because I can't see the board without it. It helps me see things far away. Letting them know that in advance tells them, okay, one, they're not just bringing some wacky piece of technology in my classroom because, you know, they don't play about technology in the classroom unless it's like an iPad or a laptop. So it lets them know that you're not just playing around. And two, it puts them on notice that, hey, this is something they need. I'm going to look out for them and make sure that I'm aware of that and that other students are respectful of that student's need of those devices. Lastly is resources. Resources isn't just limited to material things. Resources are also people in organizations. Depending on your disability, there's probably at least two or three organizations on it. If not, then maybe you are just the one to start that organization. But anyways, organizations and people are resources. And one of these resources in the context of college is your disabilities office. They, they have different names depending on the institution, like at the college that I attend, it's the Office of Accessibility Resources. I know another college calls it the Disability Services Office. It just depends on where you go. But in general, their job is to help students with disabilities be the best students they can be and break down some of those barriers that they would experience without their help. I can't tell you enough about how awesome the folks at my disabilities office have been. They've always been sweet and just very patient with me, even when I freaked out and sent them emails like, hey, I need this. <laughs> They've been very patient and I appreciate them so much. So make sure that you are aware of your resources. And if you if you get to this process in self-efficacy where you're where you know yourself, you know your disabilities, the ins and outs of it, and what it requires of you, and what levels of dependence on other people you may have, and then you assess your needs based off of your knowledge of yourself. When you get to this step, you may also find that you start thinking about, well, I kind of, I know what resources I have, but they're limited resources, meaning you realize that you need more resources and you need more help. At this point is when you start to embark on applying self-advocacy and doing research and seeking out resources. And this is a process that can be empowering and maybe sometimes daunting but I would encourage you to view it as something more so empowering because it's something that's helped me. I know for sure. Um, when I first found out about one of the foundations that is a leader in advocacy, advocacy and education on albinism, you wouldn't believe how excited I got because it's a rare condition. And because it is so rare, I figured, well, they probably don't have that much information. They probably don't have foundation. And then I found no, and it was like a whole world 
was opened up to me. More on that later because Albinism Awareness Day is coming up soon. But I would encourage you to find resources, even if it's just doing a Google search. You know, I like to consult Dr. Google and Professor YouTube as well. You know, there are awesome resources. Now that we've got the three tenets of self-advocacy, what does that look like in the context of college? And what are some tips to kind of get you motivated and help you out? So the first thing that helped me through my college career is understanding that I am my best advocate. While I understand my, like the, the effort and I appreciate the things that my support system does, like my, my family, my rehabilitation counselor, mentors, while I appreciate them, in their willingness to accommodate, in their willingness to learn, their willingness to fight for me, I first had to realize that I am my own best advocate in every situation. And that means that even when I don't feel like it and I'm tired of explaining myself, I, I have to keep explaining myself because I can't afford to not explain myself. Something else I also learned is that when approaching people about your needs regarding your disability, it's very important to not base or premeditate their responses based off of your past negative experience. And I'm really good at doing that sometimes, especially when it comes to albinism or chronic migraines. It's easy to assume that, okay, I'm going to walk up to this professor or email this professor and tell them, hey, because of my disability, I'm struggling to focus or I'm struggling in this area. It's easy to expect people to be ignorant out of the gate because 150 people before them have been ignorant out of the gate. But something that I have been learning is to always give people the benefit of the doubt to grow, to change, to learn, to be educated, and so I've learned to err on the side of the larger percentage of people that do care. So when you walk in there or approach your professor in person or virtually via Zoom, relax, breathe. Understand that you've made it this far. You are a rock star. And, it, and the going gets tough sometimes. You don't, you feel sometimes maybe misunderstood or college may seem like a lot bigger workload than high school. And it is in some ways. And it, and it may seem very daunting uh, about the, a daunting task to remember the amount of requirements that are needed of you. But understand that you are enough and you can do this. When you approach your professors, it's important that you approach them with the mindset of we're a team. The way that I view it and the way that I was taught is this. You have yourself and maybe your parent or your legal guardian or whoever 
is like your primary person that is with you on appointments and who's been with you through school, that, that main person, you and that person. And then you also have your disabilities office. All right. And then you also have your professor. So the three of y'all are working together as a team with one common goal, and that is to ensure that you are getting an education in a manner that is not hindering you because of the obstacles you face with your disability. It should put you on a playing field where you have the opportunity to showcase the fact that you have a mind strong enough to be here. You have a heart big enough to power through any of the challenges that you face. It, it should be able to accentuate that. That is the whole point of having this team. So as you fill out these college applications or if you've already been accepted, strongly recommend get registered with your disabilities office, become really good friends with them, make sure that you are communicating with your professors in advance before you even get to campus. I recommend at least I think a healthy week prior to the first day of classes is good. Uh, any longer than that, then they probably won't remember the email because I'm sure they get a lot of emails ahead of time. And make sure that you are viewing college in a, in a positive light to the best of your ability because you can do this. Hey guys, that was part one of the series transitioning from high school to college with a disability. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope that you were encouraged and got some insight. I think it's very important that people with disabilities are equipped with the tools to progress and be successful in college as soon as possible. So I love you guys and I will catch you in the next video.